Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This evening, amen. Uh, my wife wanted me to make a uh, known that if anybody is not a part of the church softball team that's playing this weekend, you are still, of course, uh, invited to come out and watch us do what we do. Amen. Our game, I believe, starts at 11 o'clock on Saturday, our first game on the south end. And so if you want to come and uh, point fingers, laugh, make fun, uh, then come on out and do all that. We'll appreciate it. Uh, so for a good cause, nonetheless, for a good cause. And also monies for that, if you're involved in that, is uh, due by Sunday, uh, $10 per uh, individual that's actively involved in that. Brother Alex, you want to come real quickly and give a spill for overflow coming up next week? Praise the Lord. Uh, just a reminder again. Overflow Rally is next Friday, October 11th at 7. Um, again, our speaker will be Section 6 Presbyter Pastor McGee. And again, I want to remind everyone that it is not just a youth service. It is for everyone. So please come. Bring your overflow offerings. Um, if you, you've probably given the overflow but you didn't know what it is, it's basically it goes to various percentages of money goes to not only our district, but it also goes to national um, in the endeavors that they have, it goes to different departments and such. Um, we are the host church. Again, I'm asking for donations of hot dogs, chips, and snacks. Uh, we got hot dogs, buns, I think. Um, I'll double check on that, but please um, it, either make the donations um, when you come or please bring, um, bring me money. You can talk to me, and we can get that figured out. Um, if you're going to come to the afterburn, it's going to be $5 admission to pay for the food. And then the youth bring a change of clothes. We're going to have a ping pong tournament, foosball tournament, volleyball, volleyball with a twist. And uh, we'll have a bonfire and board games and such. So come out, have a good time. And uh, this will be not the last time I'll remind you of this. All right. Praise the Lord. Second Peter chapter number two. I want to start with verse number 17. And we'll read through the last verse of chapter number two uh, here this evening. The Bible states these words. These, and we're still speaking about false teachers here, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Amen. Tonight, simply entitled this, for the last three lessons, including this one, we've had traitors of a traitor in there, and it's, it's not escaping us tonight. But I want to talk to you about the tragedy and traits of a traitor. The tragedy and traits of a traitor which I'm uh, alluding to the false prophets, of course, false teachers. Father, we come to you tonight. We need you, Jesus, in this place. God, as we turn our attention again to your word, God, let your word speak life. For in it, Lord Jesus, are the words that speak of you. I pray, O oh Lord, if we'll search for them, if we will, Lord, open our eyes to them, God. This word from Genesis to Revelations is a testimony of Jesus Christ. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, help me to glean from the scriptures. Hear them, Lord, glean from them. God, allow them, Lord, to impact and affect my life. God, and I'll not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. 
Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening in Jesus' name. The tragedy and traits of a traitor. We are going to continue just a little bit as Peter has following his lead of some of the traits of the traitors or traits of these false teachers. He has given us quite a lengthy list. Uh, perhaps not exhaustive, but he's done a pretty good job at it, amen, of giving us different traits to look for that indicate these false teachers. And starting with verse number 17, he speaks concerning them uh, almost metaphorically or metaphorically, uh, which is a way in which his audience could easily relate to their traits or easily relate to their character- characteristics and, and pick up on them. Uh, the New Living Translation says it like this, of verse 17, that these people are as useless as dried up springs of water or as clouds blown away by the wind, promising much and delivering nothing. The Phillips translation of the scripture says these men are like wells without a drop of water or as clouds blown away by the wind, promising much. Sorry, without a drop of water in them, like the changing shapes of whirling storm clouds. This is important. This is the idea that those whom Paul was writing to or Peter was writing to, that they understood these these uh, associations and these metaphors, being that they were in Israel, being that they were in the region of the Middle East section of the world, uh, these people are very well acclaim, uh, acquainted with what dry and arid climates are all about. And so they know, uh, being in that time, particularly culturally and in that time, those people knew uh, how welcomed a well or a spring was in their travels. Uh, whenever they were traveling, especially any long distance, any time that they would come up on a well or a spring, those were very prized to them so that they could have refreshment and water, of course, to drink. And so if one saw the natural appearance of a well in a distance, a traveler, whoever it may be, if they saw the natural appearance of a well, you would expect then, you would expect it to contain water. That's what wells are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to contain water. But these wells, Peter says, these wells failed people whenever they met them, whenever they went to them, they, they failed in their expectations. They were wells that were without water. And so the purpose was kind of zapped from them or uh, if you will, change their altar because they were wells. But when they got there thinking they could dip a bucket down in there, however far they would need to, these are wells without water. And so Peter then associates this picture, wells without water, uh, to these false teachers of the day in which he lived. And he was basically then trying to relate to us as readers in his audience that these people then are just like wells without water. They give the impression of being beneficial. But upon closer examination, they prove helpless or even perhaps hurtful. Because think with me here just for a moment. I wonder how many times a real traveler went out of his way from his path that he was going because he seen a well, needing refreshment, needing uh, thirsty, you know, wanting to quench that, went out of his way a little bit because he saw a well, thinking, I'll go there, I'll get water, only to go there to find out the well is bone dry. And so in that case, uh, thinking if he had stayed just on his path he was on, maybe he'd come closer to a well that had water. But he's seen that one. So not only is it not proving to be beneficial being a well, but it may even been hurtful because he went off his path to reach something that couldn't aid him anyway. And so he's more tired if he comes back to the same spot on the path, more thirsty than what he would have been before he ever left to begin with. And so Peter is saying these false teachers are just like that. They are not beneficial upon closer examination. They are in many ways even hurtful to those that they come in contact with. And so often a well that was without water throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelations, oftentimes if there was a well that didn't have water, it was used for another purpose. It was used as a prison. It was used as a place to incarcerate people. Uh, the Bible speaks of Joseph put down into a pit that was without water. In essence, uh, that which was a well, since it no longer had water, became a pit for Joseph to be thrown inside of. 
Jeremiah, the Bible speaks that he was in a dungeon. It particularly says it was without water, meaning this, that originally it was probably a well, but it no longer had water, could hold water. And so now what used to be a well of refreshment for somebody else now becomes a dungeon of punishment, if you will, for Jeremiah. And so a well without water used to be used for used to be used for refreshment the well did but now without water it's used to incarcerate peter saying these false teachers are just like that just like wells without water if you don't watch it their words may be alluring but the outcome of everything is that it's really going to be something that imprisons you it's really going to be something that incarcerates you. And so Peter tells us in verse number 19 that false teachers, they promise the people, they promise the people liberty. As a matter of fact, they lured them away with the idea and the concept of liberty. But when they themselves, he says, Peter says, they themselves are servants of corruption. So invariably, invariably, they will make the ones that they attract imprisoned as well because they're trying to sell something to them that they don't have. They're trying to offer something to them, flamboyant words, if you will, of liberty when they are imprisoned themselves by corruption. And what they are really doing is alluring that person to the same corruption that they are incarcerated by. They are alluring them to the same attraction that they are encompassed by. And so in reality, they are wells without water, amen, and they are potential prison houses for those that would walk the straight and the narrow path. And so Peter is basically saying in all of that, beware of these false teachers. They exclaim one thing, say they have one thing, but the reality of the fact is they're really empty. The reality of the fact is it's really imprisoning. And so in contrast, if we think about this tonight, in contrast to these false teachers, let's consider those that the New Testament, some of the disciples oftentimes called rabbi, master, and teacher, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he sat one time in John 4 upon a real well. A real well that was really reliable because this woman that came to it had come to it oftentimes. She comes to it for a literal supply of water and Jesus meets her there. He goes there particularly for her because the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. He particularly goes there for her and meets the Samaritan woman and tells her that you can drink of that water. Speaking of the well, the literal well he's sitting on, he says, but if you do, you'll thirst again. But he says in John 4, 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, Jesus told her that I can make you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. If you drink of the water that I give you, you will not thirst. It will satisfy. Can someone say amen? And so when you think of this, a person's character or their traits, we might even say, can be traced to the source based upon what type of well we are. Hmm. Because if we are a well without water, eh, false teacher. But if we are a well of water springing up into everlasting life, then you have been under the tutelage and the guidance of the true master teacher, Jesus Christ. You have been touched by him because he said, I can make you a well that springs up. But these false teachers are not wells with water. They're wells without water. It tells identically the difference between their two sources. One source is founded in God and the other source is founded in something outside of God. Amen. And so it is telling then of their source. Jesus even said in John 7, 38, the Bible says it was the last day of the feast. He said, whoever would believe on him, as the scripture have said, he said, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know what he's saying? Whoever's believed on me, like the scripture said, they're going to be wells of water. They're going to be wells of living water. As a matter of fact, it's not going to be a stagnant well. It's going to be like a spring. It's going to be shooting forth from them. Hallelujah. You know something good about a spring? You don't have to doubt water's there because it bubbles. Amen. 
He said, they're going to be a river of living water. Amen. So Peter uses another metaphor to get in the mind of the people, the idea and the type of false teachers, the, what type of people they are. He uses another metaphor that his audience could relate to, and it was clouds. Clouds that are carried with a tempest. Or as Jude put it in his book, clouds they are without water carried about of winds. Every farmer, in the Middle East in particular, but every farmer uh, to a certain degree keeps their eye on the sky. Because they know the significance of rain for them. They know the significance the Bible talks about. The former rain and the latter rain, or the former rain more particularly known as the early rains and the latter rain. The farmer knew the, the significance of the early rains and the latter rains. It was the early rains after he got his crop in the ground. It was the early rains that were instrumental in growing that new little seedling there into a sprout that would pop through the ground. That was important for him. But it was also important for a farmer to have what was called the latter rains because it's in the latter rains rains, a rain that comes whenever the plant is close to harvest but not quite yet there, the latter rains would come and bring that plant to full fruition, full maturity for the purpose of harvest. And so he was dependent on the early rains, he was dependent on the latter rains. And so there wasn't anything more disappointing to a farmer than to spot a cloud in the distance that looked like, you know what, it could rain. It could bring the promise of rain. In a time of need, maybe, early rain time or latter rain time when the crops are about ready to be put, I need that rain, a cloud to appear only for it to be carried away by the storm, change shape, if you will, and never surrender one drop of water. It's like he's there hopeful because this is what I need, but then nothing materializes of it. Peter says that's just like the false prophet. They got a good appearance to them. They got a good market plan. But whenever you put their feet to the fire, nothing materializes of what they have said. According to Peter, he said these false teachers, undoubtedly, according to his metaphor, these false teachers have a tendency of promising much but delivering little. They oversold themselves. They oversold themselves. He said these types have, have a reservation. This is what he said in verse number 17, I believe it is. He said these types, these false teachers have a reservation made forever in the midst of darkness. In the midst of darkness. Which that we need to contrast with something that's spoken back in 1 Peter that we did a series on not that long ago. Because the Bible speaks in 1 Peter that there is a type of reservation made for the church. There's a reservation for the church, and there's a reservation for these false teacher types. For the false teacher types, it's a mist of darkness forever. For the church, the Bible says in 1 Peter, Peter's talking about, now these are the type of people that Peter's talking about in 1 Peter. He says those that are begotten again into the lively hope. Those are the type of people he's talking about. He says in verse 4 of 1 Peter 1, they are begotten again into a lively hope to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And so we have false teachers reserved, if you will, for them, a mist of darkness, but those that are begotten again with a lively hope, an inheritance in heaven someday for them. So there's two reservations. There's two reservations being made. One for false teacher and those types and one that are for the begotten again of God. One is from the midst of darkness and one is reserved for an inheritance in heaven. Now listen to me. There's only one way for the reservation to get changed. There's only one way for the reservation to get changed. False teachers can't be reserved, amen, for inheritance in heaven. And the only begotten can't be reserved, if you will, for the midst of darkness. There's only one way for the reservation to be changed. And that is if you change groups and conditions of who you are. That's how the reservation... It's not I was, going to, uh, I was going to Olive Garden, but now I decided to go to the Long Home. No, 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 no. There is a group that can only go to Olive Garden. And there's a group that can only go to Longhorn. The only way you can change reservation is you got to change groups. Now, Longhorn and Olive Garden, that's not in the Bible, okay? You can probably check any version. I don't think it's in there. 
nonetheless. The only way you could change reservations is to change personal condition. These false teachers, verse 18, look at it. And you can flash it up there on the screen if you want to. Look at verse 18. These false teachers evidently are great orators. They know how to use their voice and their speech. They know how to be persuasive with their words. They know, if you will, how to market the damnable in a positive light. They are the best con artists. They are the best people that know how to propagate false advertisement. They are the 1999 in call now. And there's more, but wait. <laughs> well, glory. I got a good deal on that. But it's a piece of junk. <laughs> Is everybody all right? I'm sorry. We've got a bunch of QVCers out there or something. God bless you. But the words they speak, they're vain, the Bible says. They're vain. It says that they have great swelling words of vanity. They're vain. Solomon, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, this is, he speaks about things being vain and vanity. It's the very same uh, word that, that Peter is using here in Scripture. It basically means this. It's all empty. That's what he's saying. In Ecclesiastes, he says all these things, they are empty. They are meaningless and so whenever Peter tells us that these false, these false teachers, they have you know, great swelling words of vanity. They have great swelling words of emptiness. Great swelling words of meaninglessness. They have a lot to say, but not much to say. <laughs> Amen. And so the words that these people, these type of people speak, they're just, again, they're just like the wells without water and the clouds that are without rain that Peter's already compared them to. They're all empty. Vain words, empty. Rainless clouds, empty. Waterless wells, empty. He says, I don't care what, what the showboat is or how flamboyant it may appear or how good sounded it may be appeasing to the ear. He says, it's nothing. It's meaninglessness. The Bible says in the New Living Translation, it says that they, these false teachers, lure back into sin those who have just escaped from such wicked Living, You see that there in verse number 18, that they come to those alluring those that were clean escape from them who live in air. In other words, for false teachers, their target audience, get this now, uh, amen, we've already heard about the unstable souls and we'll understand now why they were called unstable. Their target, target audience is new converts. Those who have just escaped their past, just got up from under the umbrella of all of that, they are wanting to hone in on those people. They're wanting to hone in on those people. And the only reason why those people are unstable is because they just got their foot in the door. Hmm. They're still learning. They are impressionable. Souls. Somewhat naive to the totality of truth. They're going on just what they experienced to begin with. Right? They're as babes drinking the milk, and they've not yet got their mouth on the meat quite yet. He says, those are the ones that I hone in on. Why? Because they're hungry people. Huh? What do you know about hungry people? People that are really, really, really hungry, they'll almost eat anything if you're really hungry. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's packaged as truth. Amen? So they allure, the Bible says, these false teachers, they allure. Uh, last week, we talked about them beguiling. In both instances, again, it's, it's about baiting the hook. They, they're beguiling and alluring unstable souls, which in this understanding tonight, the verses that we read, these new souls. And so what do they bait their hook with? The Bible tells us in verse 18, they're baiting their hook with the lust of the flesh. They're baiting their hook with wantonness. They're trying to appeal to people's flesh. And the greatest of our downfalls in life is whenever we give in to the appeal of our flesh, of our human nature. They're baiting the hook with wantonness. Let me define wantonness for you. Wantonness is acts or manners as filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of male or females. So they're baiting the hook with all of that. 
They're baiting the hook with all that. And so there is no greater deception then for a new convert than to tell them, listen to me, than to tell them what you have experienced has been the grace of God and you don't have to change anything to have that continued experience in your life. Someone say amen. That's deception. That's deception. The Bible says in Titus 3 and verse 8, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm, or I want you to confirm something for me, that thou will affirm constantly that they which have believed in God or have had faith in God might be careful They might exercise some thought to maintain. Everybody say maintain. To maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. In other words, he said you believed in God. You have faith in God. You had an experience with God. All that's well. But you got to exercise thought. You need to be careful to maintain. Maintain good works because that will be good and profitable unto the man. You know what that means? It's more than my initial experience. It's more than my initial experience. I got to maintain good works unto the Lord. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, after it talks about you're saved by grace through faith, right? It's not of works lest any man should boast. The Bible says that we are his workmanship, which means we are his work of art. Uh huh. We are his work of art, and we have been created. We have been saved for the purpose of good works. Uh huh. But the Bible says, you look at it in Ephesians 2, that God had ordained from the beginning. Okay, I got to go there. I don't want to just misrepresent Scripture any. Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his work of art, created in Christ Jesus. That's whenever we got our new birth experience. Unto, this is what we were created in Christ Jesus for. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is not just a prayer of repentance. This is not just being baptized in Jesus' name. This is not just being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. But this is a walk from that point forward. That that is the beginning. There's still a walk of good works that help maintain, that's profitable unto the man from that day forward. And so if you're going to say that was God's grace, amen, for your experience, and you don't have to worry about anything else, then my God, just show me grace while I'm still in the world, and I'll just live in the world. That's the idea that's hitting people's mind. I can still chew. I can still still smoke. I can still cuss. I can still act like the devil. And because of God's grace, I'm saved. That's a bunch of hogwash. That's a false teacher. That's a myth. No, 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 no. you got to maintain good works. That's good and profitable to you and your salvation. But you realize how nice that would sound? Lock, stock, and barrel, I put it all in there. Had an experience and I can just live life. Oh, That's a grand deception until the end comes. Furthermore, Titus 2.14 says this. Who, and it's speaking of Jesus Christ, you can look at verses prior to verse 14. Who, or Jesus Christ, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. But listen, when you're like the false teachers of 2 Peter, when you deny the Lord that bought you, then you deny what he originally redeemed you from. He gave, look what he said, Jesus Christ gave himself that he might redeem us from iniquity. But if you deny that he bought you, then you deny what he originally redeemed you from. 
all iniquity. And when they deny the Lord, whenever denial is in the equation, they deny then also the purifying process and the track that the Lord's laid for them that they would be zealous toward good works that he placed upon our lives. That's what he desires. And so, they state their words, their flamboyant words. They're gleaning, trying to get those that have just came out of that, just came out of their lifestyle, amen, of living for, amen, the world. Amen. They just clean escape from that. They're honing in on those people. And the Bible says in verse 19, you can flash it up there for everybody. They begin to talk then to these people about liberty. Now, culturally for this time, liberty was a very hot topic of the culture of this day. Liberty was something that people of Rome and of the Jews, people of of the Greek world, that people sought after the idea of liberty. It was during the time of Peter that they did this. It was a high-valued commodity. Amen. Both in the political world, people wanted political liberty. People in the social world, they wanted social liberty. They were constantly looking for liberty. And the Bible says that these false teachers came while promising liberty. So the moment that they speak of promising liberty, guess what happened? Immediately, everybody's attention that are fastened upon this idea of liberty in their day, they have their attention. They have their ears because there's so many voices speaking about political liberty, social liberty, and here comes somebody else talking about religious liberty. So they have everybody's attention. Their ears are drawn to them. And Peter says what we have here, folks, concerning the false teachers is a classic example of a slave trying to promise liberty. (laughs) In other words... If they know the secret to liberty, then why are they enslaved to corruption? While promising liberty, they are slaves of corruption. While they're promising that, we can't get away from their present reality of being slaves to corruption, which is very, very bleak. The New Jerusalem Bible says it like this, because if anyone lets himself be dominated by anything, then he is a slave to it. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 34, Jesus answered them and said these words. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant. And that's the kind word, the direct word is a slave. Is a slave of sin. And so you have false teachers here that Peter is speaking of that are slaves to corruption. And then you have Peter himself, if you'll remember in the opening verse of uh, this opening book of 2 Peter, you remember Peter said that I'm a servant or slave of Jesus Christ. So we have false teachers that are slaves and we have Peter that is a slave. And so then the question that pops in our minds is this, then what's the difference, Brother McGee? False teachers are proclaiming liberty and Peter says he's a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ and he's proclaiming liberty. Is there a difference? Absolutely. Because it makes a difference who you're a slave to. Paul preached, Paul now, Paul preached in the book of Galatians oft times. He preached about our freedom in Jesus Christ. In Galatians 5, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. He's speaking to Galatians, particularly the the church of Galatia or those Gentiles in that region. He's calling them to the church. He's calling them to a life with Christ. He says, you have been called unto liberty, meaning called unto Christ. But here's here's what he advised them. He said, but don't use your liberty in Christ for an occasion of your flesh. What are you saying? You're saying when you say, well, we have liberty, that means we can do whatever we want to do. They were using their quote-unquote liberty as an umbrella to sin. Uh huh. He says, you don't understand the liberty of Christ then if you're understanding it like that. He said, that's not the way that it goes with Christ. Amen. Paul told us, he said, you're, 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 not even, you're not even under law anymore, but you're under grace. But he understood one fact, and this fact is true, that Christ died for every sin that we've ever committed. That is true. And that the true freedom in Christ comes With parameters. Mm -hmm. Amen. The Bible says, and I just want to hit on this very, very quickly. This is a verse I've went to over the years, but it is is very good. 
I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. So before you is the King James, but from the Amplified Bible, it reads like this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, everything is permissible, allowable, and lawful for me. But not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient, and profitable when considered with other things. Everything is lawful for me, but I will not become the slave of anything or be brought under its power. All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. It's a good verse to jump through the hoops of whatever you may become involved with for proper administration of our lives. Number one, you ask whatever it is that you're going to do. Ask, is it lawful? And if it is, then you go to the next step. Is there a precept prohibiting this action? And whenever I say a precept, it may be a law in the Bible that particularly detailed says you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. Is there a precept? If there is, abstain from it. There's not go on to step number two. Number two is this. Is there a principle to help guide my conduct? Because a principle is more general. Mm -hmm. Principle is more general. But it helps guide the general conduct of an individual. It might not get specific. You know, I tell my child, do not cross the road at the intersection of Vine and 3rd at 12 o'clock. That's very specific. But if I would go to a general principle, it might just be very general. Do not cross the road. And so with the do not cross the road, in that is the idea. I don't cross it. It doesn't matter what time it is. What You understand? And so is there a principle? And if so, you need to stop there. If not, go a little bit further. Go on. If it is lawful, lawful and it's past test number one and past test number two, is it expedient? The word expedient means is it proper? Is it profitable for you? I'm not talking about on the flesh side. Is it profitable for your soul? If not, you stop right there. If you say, no big deal, let's go on. I think it's profitable. It's all well. Go to number four. Number four is the last little verse, the little sentence there. If I do practice this, is it possible that it will become my master? If I do practice this, Could I, somewhere along the way, possibly become the slave and it the master? It could be lawful. But will it become the dictator in my life? We're free in Christ Jesus. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. And now some things will try to bring you under their power. And there's some things that will be more apt to bring some people under their power than what other people are brought under. Because some of those things might be too close to an actual sin that that person used to be prone to. Oh, Lord. Someone say amen. And so... And so Peter is trying in the scripture, he is trying to combat the idea. They're promising liberty, all freedom in Christ, do this and that. Oh, yeah, but let's run it through, if you will, the four little steps here. Is it lawful? Is there a precept? Is there a principle? Huh? Is it profitable? Will it bring me under its stump? Here's the thing. It might, you might think it's totally innocent, but if you ever seen, if you ever see the relationship change, that you become the slave rather than the master, Bail out now. Bail out now. Because Paul there in 1 Corinthians is basically saying that a man is brought under the power of anything that he cannot give up. He's a slave of that thing, whatsoever it may be, that, that he cannot relinquish. And whenever it gets to that point, you know what it's become to him? Not something permissible, it's become a sin to him at that point. Verses 20 through 22 in 2 Peter chapter number 2. Going on just a little further. Just a little, little, little further. A little further. Verses 20 through 22. Peter is still speaking about these false teachers. He seems to be referencing these false teachers instead of those that they are attempting to beguile. If you'll notice, the false teachers are the they of verses 18 and the they of verses 19. Therefore, he continues with that same rule. They are the they of verse number 20, if after they have escaped. Same individuals, these false teachers. 
And look at these words here that he uses. They are very strong and they are very telling. Verse 20, for if after you flash it up there, verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein. Strong telling words in my opinion. They escape the pollutions of the world but are again entangled therein in the pollutions of the world. And folks, what we are speaking about here, note it well, we are speaking about salvation. These people have had a relationship, an experiential knowledge, if you will, of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They didn't know him simply because they had information of him. They knew him by experience. You hearing me? We're talking about salvation here. They knew him by experience. He was their Lord and Savior. Master and Savior. They were his slaves. They did what he desired, what he beckoned. Their life was not their own. It belonged to him. That was the relationship. But they became again entangled in the things that they once escaped. Sister Jessup, they fell back. They returned to their previous activities. The only way you can be again entangled is if you were detangled before. (laughs) So therein lays the great tragedy of these particular false teachers because they knew a better way. They had experienced a better way. They experienced the way of righteousness, of godliness, the way of Christ Jesus. They knew all that, and yet they abandoned that. They had known truth, but now they have turned back and forsaken the holy commandment, the Scripture says. And they're nothing more than, as Peter describes them, slaves of corruption. And the Bible states that their last state, is worse than their first state. Their last state being worse than their first state mirrors a condition in the book of Matthew. It's also found in the book of Luke. But it mirrors a condition of one, it's described the same way, of one going back to or having, if you will, accepted again unclean spirits that they were once cleansed from. The Bible says in Matthew 12 and verse 43, here is the context of the scripture for this. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, this is the spirit, saith, I will return into my house. What? The one that he used to be in. My house from whence I came out. And when he, that is the spirit, is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he the spirit and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than his first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. It's the only place we see that same wording. Worse, the last day is worse than the first. So when an unclean spirit, according to the scripture, has gone out of a man, he goes seeking a dry place to find rest. Number one, I'll tell you this, that dry places are open invitations to unclean spirits. For them to bring all of their havoc and activity that comes along with them. And I'll tell you something else. Notice that when he did not find them, the Bible says that the unclean spirit went back to the house that he was familiar with. One that he had been in, he went back to. And he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. Because this, listen to me very clearly, old sins like to find occupancy in familiar places. Old sins like to find occupancy in familiar places. And that's how certain sins in life become classified, according to the book of Hebrews, as sins that so easily beset us. Because they are the sins that you are most prone to. They are sins that you have a tendency toward. 
Now, my besetting sin isn't Sister Jessup's and hers isn't Brother Fred's and so on and so forth. But we all, and I say all with capital letters, have a besetting sin. Whether we're aware of it or not, I probably think you're probably aware of it. We all have a tendency. We all have a proclivity to something that would try to snafu, alert, engage us, that we would be more at. You look at somebody else and say, I can't believe they'd even do that. Well, you know why? Because that's not your besetting sin. That's theirs. They could look at you and say the same thing for something that tries to snap. I don't know why, because that's not your besetting sin. But the unclean spirit goes back to a house it's familiar with. Old sins try to find a place, amen, that they're familiar with. And note, the house is now empty. It's swept. It's garnished, a, a very empty, garnished, swept, dry place. Let me put it in these terms. It's a well without water. It's a well without water. There's no river of living water, amen, that's flowing here. Thus, the Bible says he takes seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And the last state of him is worse than the first state of him. Listen to me. My, 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 my marrying this with Second Peter is this. And there will always be exceptions to the rule before someone leaves tonight and says, well, Brother McGee, this has happened for so-and-so. Happy about it. There's always an exception to the rule. But... A person rejecting God typically won't go back only to the things that they were entangled in before. Many times they'll experiment with other things that they never even did before. And thus the last state of the person is worse than their first state. They turn from the holy commandment after having embraced the way of righteousness. It's unwise. Because before a person had the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, before that, there are some things that they perhaps did ignorantly. The Bible talks about sins of ignorance in the Old Testament. The Bible talks even in the book of Acts chapter 17, the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now he commanded all men to repentance. Amen. So they may have done ignorantly because they had no knowledge of it. But once they've known the way of righteousness, the way of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, now when they go do these things, they are not sinning ignorantly, they are sinning willfully. Because they've been acquainted with the Holy Commandment. They've had this experience. And so now, rather be able to say, I didn't know they are without excuse. They are headlong with eyes open doing what they are doing. They are without excuse. And so much, as the Bible says, and this could no doubt even apply here, to much, to whom much has been given. For sure, by way of the holy commandment, the righteousness of God, therefore will there be required much of that individual. But whenever you reject all that and you walk headlong into what you know you should not be walking into. Amen. That is unwise. Your last state is worse than your beginning state because now you're doing it with your eyes wide open. And the warning then for these false teachers, amen, that would attempt to beguile anybody or the warning even, if you will, for others that would apostatize and that means basically leave the truth. The warning for them, amen, that would become a false teacher, I believe is squarely found in, in Ephesians 5 and verse number 6. Paul, speaking to the church at Ephesus, said this, and look what he leads off with, let let no man deceive you with vain words. What were the false teachers doing? With great swelling words of vanity. He says, let no man, Paul says, deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He says, be not ye therefore partakers with them. He says, don't be partakers with them. What did Peter say you should be partakers of? Partakers of the divine nature. And so Paul's saying, don't be partakers of these that have the vain words. But Peter says, be partakers of those. Amen. Partaker of the divine nature in 2 Peter, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness. He's saying, you all knew darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Hello? Walk. Maintain good works. Walk like who you've been saved to be. Amen. Hallelujah. He says, walk. Now are ye the light and the Lord walk as children of light. Verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. 
Those are some sound words of advice from the Apostle Paul for people even that Peter's trying to speak to in 2 Peter. Don't give ear to those vain words. Be partakers, not of them. Don't, don't gravitate toward back that darkness that you've been brought out of. Walk as children of light. Do what is proved to be acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with darkness. Reprove all of those things. You know what? Let's, let's, re, let's prove and reprove. Is it lawful? Is there a, pre, a precept against it? Is there... A principle? Is it expedient? Is it profitable? Will it bring me under its power? Someone say amen. I'm heading home. Working up a sweat. It's supposed to be cool tomorrow. We come then to verse 22. He gives us what seems like a couple different proverbs of the dog turning to its vomit. How many's ever seen that? Yeah. Sow wallowing in the mire. Been there and did that. There's a few things we need to know culturally in order to properly appreciate what he's given us here. Culturally, dogs are not like your little domesticated animal that you have. Dogs were despised in Scripture. They were miserable excuses of an animal. As a matter of fact, to call someone a dog in a Scripture was an insult. We see it on different occasions that to call someone a dog was an insult. We find it reoccurring. Goliath even come to David and said, Am I a dog that you would even come to me like you are? That was to be an insult. The Bible speaks of uh, Abishai in another place said, why should this dead dog curse the Lord my king? He was trying to be an insult by answering, dead, you know, you dog. <laughs> it was an insult. And in addition to that, both dogs and hogs, <laughs> see what I did there? Both dogs and hogs were unclean animals for the Jews. So, he says, the dog is turned to his own Vomit again. That possibly is picked up from the Proverbs of Solomon. Proverbs 26, 11 says this. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. And so the emphasis is clear. The emphasis is on the returning. The emphasis is on the repeating. The dog is Turned, the scripture says, the dog is turned to his own vomit. To be turned means it has returned to a point or an area where, at, where it has been before. And so the concentration then of the Proverbs is really one. Because note, verse 22 says, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb. Singular in the Greek even. But it gives two illustrations. So their meaning, their idea and concept, their concentration and emphasis is one and the same. Both the dog and both the sow return to a state that they formerly had left behind. He says, that's these false teachers. They're returning back to a place that they were before their experience with the Lord. Now watch this, and I'm coming to a close. You can stand with me. Verse 22 says, but it is happened unto them. It's happened unto them. I've heard it before. You ain't going to believe what happened to me. Right? Huh? This happened to me. But it happened, so it's almost like you're at the mercy of whatever the circumstance is. But it happened unto them. The word happened there means this. To happen with the implication of occurring in connection with other events. You know what that means? That what is happening is in connection with something else that's going on. Watching me here? If you look at the verse before, verse 21, they turn from the holy commandment. But it happened to them that the dogs turned back to its vomit. Why has this happened to them that they're turning back to what they once left? Because this is in connection with something else that's going on. They've already started to turn from the holy commandment. 
turning back because they've turned from. It's not like this happened to you and you had no control over it and it came upon you and you're at its mercy. No, no, no. It's something else is already going on in concert with this. You've turned away from the holy commandment and now you're turning back to what you once embraced. So that being said tonight, folks, some things that happen to us are the results of their connection with other events in our life. I come to Sister Malin and say, you ain't going to believe what happened to me. Really what she needs to say, what's the rest of the story? Because I like to play the role of the victim. But who knows if I don't have somewhat of a hand in the outcome. If I've turned from the holy commandment, me turning back, it just follows suit. Because you've heard me, you know, repentance is that 180 degree turn. And there, it, it, it is almost impossible to turn away from something without turning towards something else. Huh? Huh? So you are the holy commandment. Sister Melinda, I'm picking on you tonight for some reason. You are the holy commandment. God love it. Shoo! It's a tall order. <laughs> I love you. The holy commandment. I, turn from, I can't turn from the holy commandment without turning towards something. And so my turning toward, but it happened unto me. I'm turning back toward things I used to turn toward. But that's because it's in connection with my activity of turning from. Everybody just say amen or I understand or got it. But it's happened unto them. As the proverb stated, there's both that returning and that turning. He said that's, that's the false teachers. Disengage and get re-entangled. They escaped that before. Now they're going back in and saying, chain me up. Could you imagine the audacity? <laughs> Hallelujah. So there is a tragedy and traits of these traitors. The traits have been a long list. Over the past three weeks, we have hit traits of the traitors. But the tragedy is that these folks, after having known disengage and re-engage with something that they hoped they could have got free from from the beginning and did by Christ, but now they're going back to it. And folks, if we just close our eyes and think for a moment, I wonder really how much that disappoints and lowers the heart of God. You cried and wanted saved. I've already put my, my body on the cross, shed blood for this. And now that you have that freedom and you're maintaining good works, you throw all that away and you go back to the very thing that was the causation for my death. <sighs> Folks, do not give ear to the swelling words of vanity of false teachers. Take on the divine nature of the Lord. Walk in the path of your experience from that day forward of maintaining that which is pleasing in the Lord. Do not give in to the allurement of fleshly desires and wantonness. Just surrender to the Lord. Let him be the apex of it all. The very thing, the image that you're trying to be molded into after his image. The Bible says that we all grow up into Christ Jesus. That's our go. That's our go. Peter is combating that because there were people in his age, ages before that we've already seen. And even in our age right now, we got to go with our eyes wide open, our ears alert. Amen. That we can discern the evil from the good, the right from the wrong. Hallelujah. Not succumb to the deception of our times. Hallelujah. Because I love him and I don't want to turn from him. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. This is the best walk that I've ever traveled, the best way that I have ever known. Can we pray right now all across this place? Father, I come to you tonight. God, I need thee, O oh Lord. I need thee every hour of every day. I need thee, O oh God. Lord, the psalmist, I believe it said, to order our steps in your word. Lord, continue to do that. Order our steps in your word, not the flamboyant, great swelling word. 
words of somebody that's trying to be enticing yet they are enslaved in corruption themselves God I pray oh Lord help me to walk the path of freedom that is in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I pray oh Lord today God you have brought us out according to the Old Testament the Egyptians that were in bondage you brought them out in order to bring them in to their promised land you brought them out of slavery to bring them in to their land that flowed with milk and honey it was never your desire for them to totally always live life in the wilderness you brought them out to bring them in God help us Lord with that knowledge to know you have brought us out God from where we were formerly God to bring us in into a life God lived for you God without Lord Jesus returning back without going back I pray oh Lord today help us God to make our calling and our election sure and will not fail to thank you and praise you and give you the glory for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray Amen and amen. The church say amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.